listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. church. My name's Gabe. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm glad you're here. I I hope I do get to meet you before you go from this place today. Um, If you have a Bible with you or a a Bible app on your smart device, I encourage you to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is in the New Testament, so you're going to be turning over halfway into your Bible. Uh, If you're a, a math person, if you crave fractions during a church service. It's about five-sixths of the way into your Bible. Uh, The reason we encourage people to to turn in their Bible, to bring a Bible to have with them, is because we believe the Bible transforms lives uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And if you have one, we want you to engage in that. Uh, that's, that's not just something that I'm supposed to do as the pastor throughout the week. As followers of Christ, we have an opportunity to do that. We want that for you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please talk to me before you leave today. We'd love to get one in your hands uh, because of how important we believe it is. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Acts today, so go ahead and find that. While you're turning there, I want to bring up an old name some of you are going to remember. Isaac Newton. The scientists in the room are like, yes, Sir Isaac Newton. And everyone else is like, I've heard that somewhere. Isaac Newton is a notable name in history books and in science lessons. Isaac Newton was a physicist in the 1600s. And among many notable things, Isaac Newton uncovered what we now understand are the laws of motion. The laws of motion. The laws of motion existed before Isaac Newton, but he gave words, definitions to the laws of motion for us to understand. And the first law of motion is what movement is founded on. This is how the first law of motion is often defined. The first law of motion says that an object at rest stays at rest, and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed, in the same direction, unless acted on by an outside force. Since he uncovered and gave words to the laws of motion, Isaac Newton has helped us understand how that first law of motion teaches us about movement. There are all sorts of applications we've had over over the last several centuries because of what he offered to us. What does that have to do with church? 2,000 years ago, another influential person in history, Jesus, did something unfathomable. He set an entire group of people in motion to change the world. It's important to understand who Jesus is. If you're a Christ follower, you understand Jesus first and foremost as the Son of God, the second person of what we call the Trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God. When Jesus became humanity, humbling himself, he lived perfectly. It's important to know about Jesus because no one before him and no one since has been able to do that. To live perfectly means to please God in every way, not just in the way he behaved, but in the way he thought and his attitude in everything that he did. We call that righteousness, to be perfectly right in the eyes of God the Father. 
Jesus was righteous, and he came preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven, invading a broken world that's been separated from God because of something called sin. Sin is rebellion against God's ways. Jesus was bringing the new order in his perfection. And while he was healing people and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, he established a group of followers. Some people loved the work and words of Jesus, but others hated him because he was messing up what they believed life was all about. They hated him so much so that they used their influence to persuade the authorities at the time to treat Jesus like a criminal. So Jesus, this righteous man, was tried as a criminal in order to keep an upheaval from society and happening. And when he was tried, they couldn't just imprison them. They had to kill him. So they sentenced him to death. He was crucified on a cross. That means he was killed in the most shameful way possible. It's stunning to me that, that crosses are used as, as ornaments and decorations because 2,000 years ago they were vile. But it's because of what he did on the cross that we can celebrate them. Jesus, the only righteous person in the history of the world, was crucified on the only truly unjust day in the history of the world. And he died, one righteous man, for the sins of of an unrighteous world. But because of who Jesus is, the Son of God, because Jesus died unjustly, the grave could not contain him, Jesus, through the power of God, resurrected from the grave. And he didn't just bring with him new life. He brought with him the ability to conquer suffering and sin and even the, the ultimate threat, death, for all who believe in him to experience the life he provided in the resurrection. Jesus regrouped his followers with his resurrected body that was once beaten beyond recognition, but now was glorious and indefiable. And when he got his followers together, he gave them a message. You are going to be my representatives, my ambassadors, my followers, my witnesses throughout the entire world. And the good news that I've taught you and I've showed you is going to change everything for all who believe. His followers went from mourning to celebrating, and they took this mission seriously. Before Jesus went to the cross, he even primed them for what was going to happen. In his last meal with his disciples, he promised them, I'm going to leave you for a time, but don't be sad. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that one God in the form of spirit was going to come to them. And he told them, the Holy Spirit is going to do a couple of unique things that you're going to need. He's going to be your helper, and he's going to be your guide. So Jesus primed them for what was going to happen. That group was set in motion and eventually called what we now know as the church. 2,000 years later, all of us who are listening to this message today 
are here because Jesus set them in motion and they stayed in motion. This movement that began in a town called Jerusalem in the Middle East was worked out to other communities, then into parts of what we now know as Asia and Africa. And eventually it made its way into that fledgling region called Europe, and it spread throughout the world because they were a movement on mission with God bringing the good news, demonstrating and declaring who Jesus is and what he's done. The church was set in motion, and it stayed in motion. But somewhere along the way, there was an opposing force at work that changed things, and it was a a subtle change. While the people of God were set in motion with the Holy Spirit of God, a different idea of what church was started to creep into the community. Some people started to believe the the lie that that church is a building where meetings happen. And some other people began to think of of church as as sort of a vendor of religious goods and services, like a marketplace that you go to when you want something from God. Somewhere along the way, Some of us have believed that church is a meeting or a marketplace. However, from the beginning, the church was intended to be a movement, a body of people on mission with God. The church is a movement of Jesus' followers equipped with the mission and the power to bring life into the world, not merely a meeting place or a marketplace. We are a cause, not a club. And if you consider yourself a Christ follower, you are responsible and even called to be a part of this movement. And we shouldn't be settling for less. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in this place at this time in history, just like God has been doing throughout human history through this people over the last 2,000 years called the church. I believe God is going to move in the hearts of people and stir people's affections in this room over the next six weeks as we read the Bible and see how God moves in the lives of ordinary people in extraordinary ways. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to guide and help you take your next step in following him. We never graduate from taking next steps in the gospel. Whether you're not a believer, you're just exploring the Christian faith, or or whether you've been outside of the church for some time and you've not thought about your faith, or whether you're a seasoned saint who's been walking with God for years, we all have room to take our next step with Jesus. And as we explore what the book of Acts says about that and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, I believe God's going to show us our next step because he intended to make us a movement. So we need to begin asking God, I want to be set in motion, God. Will you show me my next step? I encourage you all to begin asking that, even right now. I believe you've set the church in motion, God. Will you show me my next step? We're not just a loose collection of individuals. We are a church, a body of people bound together under the headship of Christ. And if we're all thinking about just what our next step is, if we take what God shows us from this place, the world will begin to be different. Many of us long to make a difference in the world. 
It's about taking our next step. That's going to look different for each and every one of us. For some of us, we're going to take our next step, and it's going to compel us to speak to people with a little bit more boldness than we've ever spoken to people. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our friends. Maybe it's our colleagues. And when there's opportunities to share, pe- share with people about what God's doing in our life, what he's done throughout our lives, we're going to capitalize on those moments. We're going to see them, and we're going to know it's, t- it's time to be set in motion. For others of us, it's going to cause us to rethink how we're investing our time and our finances, and we're going to start channeling what God has given us toward his glory and the good of others. It's going to recalibrate our hearts and reorder some of our priorities around Jesus. Some people here might make a decision to be baptized in this season. Some of you have maybe never made that commitment to make a public profession of your faith. And through the teaching of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to say, I want to go public with my faith in Jesus. And I want to make it known to my church and to the world that I want to follow him. I've been set in motion, and that's my next step. Some of you may have already done those things, uh, but you've never experienced Christian community. You've only seen your faith in God as a personal thing, and you've missed the true teachings of the Bible, that you're not just saved into a personal relationship with Jesus, you're you're saved into a family called the church, and you're going to get connected. We've got a new ministry that's starting in a couple of weeks called Established. If you've never been connected to Christian community, Established is a great place to start understanding what the Bible says, understanding your own story, how it intersects with God's story, and how to be in Christian community with people regularly. It's just 10 weeks long getting into that. Some of you might have a a recalibrated sense of, I want to commit myself to the community group that I wasn't a part of last semester, and I really want to go all in with Christ in a community group. And some of you might be getting involved in volunteering in local schools or foster adoptive ministries or or finding where there's darkness and brokenness in the world and saying, I'm going to step into that, bringing the light of Christ. Each and every one of us has a next step to take. God has given us all we need with the Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us understand what that next step is. Ask God, even in these moments while we're teaching, Will you show me what my next step is with you and with this church so that I can be set in motion like you intended? As we do that, as we ask God that, we're also going to look at the lives of Christ followers who did the same thing in the book of Acts with expectation that God was going to give them an answer. Pause for a moment and just think of the title of this book of the Bible, Acts. It's rooted in actions. Some of you might have seen or, or heard that it's, that it's really called the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles were the early followers of Jesus. And this is the story of the Acts of the Apostles. That's not a bad description of what the book of Acts is, but I think there's something better to understand it as. I believe it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people that we call the early church. That's good news for us, because I'm looking out, <laughs> and I've looked in the mirror. Most of us are pretty ordinary people that are living ordinary lives, but ordinary lives under the authority of an extraordinary God changes everything. So as we look look at the book of Acts, we're looking at the acts of the Holy Spirit through people that are recorded in the Bible. If 
Uh, if you're new to King's community, we actually did a sermon series back in February and March called Sent. And we looked at the first two chapters of the book of Acts and how God sent his people into the world. If you don't have a background in Acts, I'd encourage you to go to the website and, and go listen to those sermons over the course of the next couple of weeks to get a foundation of what it meant to be sent. But in these next six weeks, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5 and how God set his people in motion. But to give a little bit of background, to refresh our memories of the first two chapters of Acts, here's what happened. The resurrected Jesus uh, gathered this group of people and he gave them a very explicit message. I alluded to it earlier. He looked at them and said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, this area right where you are, then in Samaria, which is very different than you, and even to the remotest places on the earth. That's Acts 1.8. Guess what happened? They believed it. And right after that, something, something crazy that I can't comprehend happened. Jesus ascended into heaven. We don't believe the Bible is a metaphor. We don't believe it's a simile. We believe that this is a true event that happened in history. I don't understand what it looked like, but Jesus ascended into heaven, and the people that were watching him and listening to him and following him didn't know what that was either. That wasn't a normal occurrence 2,000 years ago. So as he ascends into heaven, they're standing there watching, and a messenger from God, we're told in Acts chapter 1, tells them, what are you guys looking at? He's going to come back the same way he went. Go do what he said. So, they want to walk in step with him. They don't know exactly what their next step is. They do what I encouraged us to do. They went and prayed. God, what's our next step? And at the right time, while they were praying, and another thing that I can't fathom happened, the Holy Spirit was poured out onto these people on a miraculous day in an event called Pentecost where religious people from all over the place all different backgrounds in the world were doing a religious pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So there were people there from all over the known world. And the Holy Spirit came on the church and in a wondrous way worked through those people of God to be able to speak various languages to communicate the gospel to all the people that were there. It's like nothing we've ever seen or experienced since. And many people, the book of Acts tells us, were added to their number. Literally, thousands of people were saved through that milestone blockbuster moment called Pentecost. And then the church continued to advance in moments like the end of Acts chapter 2 tells us. Listen to these words as the second chapter of Acts closes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Some of the most ordinary things in everyday life is what they devoted themselves to. And what happened? Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The first two chapters of Acts 
give us a picture that, that God works in miraculous milestone moments, but God also works in mundane moments in everyday life. And some people love and crave and look for milestones and miss out on moments. I encourage you to be a person who looks for God in the ordinary moments of life because when you do that, you get both the moments and the milestones. But if you're looking for God to work in, in a wondrous ways every day, you're missing most of life, which is made up of ordinary moments. Seek God in the moments and you get both. And that's what's happening through the church. And as they're being transformed, they're also being formed into this growing people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Why? Because an object in motion stays in motion in the same speed and direction in which it was started. What happens next? We see the story continue to unfold in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. So Peter and, Jane, or Peter and John are two of the original followers of Jesus. They had followed him for years. They were some of the leaders in the church. Uh, it should be noted that, that Peter and John are actually pretty different personalities. Uh, Peter was known for being bold and brash, for better or worse. John was known as being a little bit more tender, reflective, and compassionate. I think that teaches us something about the type of community that God is forming. Different people, different personalities, different strengths and gifts are unified under the headship of God. They're different, yet they're going to go pray together. They're praying uh, one of the specific times of day set apart to pray in the temple. It says it's about 3 p.m. In parts of the Middle East where they were, times of year, it gets dark at about 4.30. They don't have street lights and cars. They're walking everywhere. So they're going to pray. That's another thing we learned from this. They didn't just pray once and then God gave them guidance and then they were good from there on out. They continued to pray. What's the next step, God? What's the next step, God? We should follow that same rhythm. Pray, follow, pray, follow, pray, follow. When they're on their way into the temple, they cross paths with this, this man who's lame. He was carried there. He was brought there by people. So we can probably understand he had a disability. He was probably paralyzed, at least from the legs down, and laid in front of this gate called the beautiful gate. Now, disabilities were treated uh, quite a bit differently in this era uh, they didn't have a lot of ways to help people with disabilities. So whether you might have a mental disability or a physical di disability, uh, for a lot of people it was a death sentence. But if you were one of the people of God, you saw that the laws that God gave people uh, gave safeguards to protect and provide for people with disabilities. This man has a disability, and he's probably perceived as a curse, as a drain on his family and on society because he doesn't have anything to offer, but people have to care for him. So it's a one-way relationship in the community. But I think uh, we, we need to peel back the curtain a little bit and see God's love in the midst of this man's disability. 
whereas people saw it as a curse, as a death sentence, as a poverty sentence, we can see God's grace and God's generous love because he had written into the law, if you're my people, you are going to care for people with disabilities. When we look at the law of God, when we look at the rules that God imposes, may we not forget that those are not just arbitrary lists of things that God wants us to follow to see if we'll do it, but rather the rules that God sets in place give us a picture of the heart of God. They give us a picture of the very things that God cares about. So when we see that written into the law was care for people with disabilities, we can understand that God loves people who are hurting and wants to make sure that his followers love people who are hurting too. God's law teaches us God's character. It's a window into God's divine love. People miss this a lot throughout history. In fact, in in one of the earlier instances in the story of Jesus' work in ministry, we saw people approach Jesus and point to a blind man and say, Jesus, was it the man's parents or the man himself who sinned and caused him to be blind? People believe that anyone who was hurting, anyone who was suffering, must be experiencing it because they deserved it. I fear that, that sometimes American Christians have the same mindset. They believe that, that someone must have sinned and got a consequence because of it. I think sometimes when we look at people who are hurting, we look at the world as a series of haves and have-nots. And if you're a have, maybe sometimes you project onto people, well, they've, they've just earned what they're getting. Just like I've earned the favor that I've been shown. And sometimes uh, we even carry that out to believe it's not my responsibility to help them. I mean, doesn't God help those who help themselves? I know people who that's their favorite Bible verse. Problem? It ain't a Bible verse. In fact, the good news of the gospel is that God helps people who can't help themselves. We need, to, we need to recalibrate our minds under the authority of God and remember that, that people can't pull themselves up by the bootstraps if they were born into a world without boots on, okay? God calls us to demonstrate his love toward people who need help because he is a God who demonstrates love to people who need help. God looks at brokenness and sees opportunity to show love like an artist looks at a blank canvas and sees what it could be. He's done that for all of us. God has looked at us as an empty canvas that would never be hung in a home or a museum. And he says, look what I can do with that. And thank God he looks at broken people like you and me and says, look what I can do with this. That's how we should be able to look at people as image bearers of God who God wants to do something wonderful through. Jesus' answer to the men who asked him, was it this man's parents or was it him that sinned? And he said, this man is blind so that my glory could be demonstrated through him. And God will do that whether it's through miraculous healing or the grace to provide for them without healing. God is always going to do something wonderful even through the brokenness of this world. And this man, this lame beggar, 
was positioned in front of a place where people would likely be going and reminded that it was their responsibility to give. This man is at the beautiful gate in front of the temple. Because he had a disability, he wasn't allowed in the temple. He was considered unclean. Unclean things can't be in the holy, clean, perfect, righteous presence of God. So he stays outside by a gate called the beautiful gate. That's important. Gates were never there just for decoration. Gates were there to protect things. They would usually name gates based on what they were protecting. So this wasn't just a temple. This was probably an ornate, beautiful temple that the gate was protecting. And this man is put there with hopes that everyone going into the temple will remember, I'm one of God's people. I better help. He's placed strategically where people would see him and give. He probably also experienced a lot of of what we experience when we see a panhandler or someone asking for help. Uh, I don't know what the equivalent of a cell phone was 2,000 years ago, but I'm sure a lot of people were walking past as though they were getting whatever was on par with a, a fake call. Sorry, I have to answer this. I can't talk to you right now. But that's not what happens with Peter and John. The man asks Peter and John if they have anything to give. Hear what happens next. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong, so he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Again, I want to remind you, this isn't a metaphor. This isn't a fake story to teach us about a fake God. This is a real story about how God worked in human history. It should also be noted that the book of Acts was written by a physician, a doctor named Luke, and Luke wasn't dumb. 2,000 years ago, they didn't expect paralyzed people to get up and start walking. Think about a child learning to walk. It doesn't just happen right away. There's a lot of clumsiness that happens. It's, it's kind of humorous if you have a little bit of a twisted mind. They, they, they walk and then they fall a little bit and then they walk a little bit more and they fall a little bit. We're allowed to laugh because they're so low to the ground. This man, the physician Luke was saying, this man was strengthened, got up, walked, leaped, ran. How did he get there? This text encourages my heart. This little passage encourages my heart because as Christ followers, we learn a few things. We learn to look, we learn to speak, we learn to reach. They looked at this man. They didn't get imaginary phone calls and keep walking by. This man was asking for help and they looked at him. They spoke to him. And even when they gave him the power of healing through words, they reached and were a part of bringing him up in this miraculous healing. This teaches us to not overlook people. Don't keep walking by the people in your life who are calling out for help. 
Don't be afraid to speak truth. You've got good news. If you are a follower of Christ and someone is sharing with you physical, emotional, mental, spiritual needs, listen to what they're asking and remember, God has equipped me with something to give away. You can't give away what you don't have. We can believe that they didn't have money to give them because that was written into God's law. If they did, they should. He said, I don't have silver or gold to give to you. But we have the power of Christ to bring salvation to all who believe. Don't sleep on that. God has invited you in to see people cross from death to life. Capitalize on that. That's part of the movement. Don't overlook people. Don't be afraid to speak truth into people's lives. And remember, physical touch is also powerful. They offered healing words, but they still reached in to help. In the midst of this, they, they risk being defiled. Remember, this man can't get into the temple, not because he can't walk, but because he's considered unclean as, as a lame man. And if you touch a lame person, you have, you, you have run the risk of becoming physically dirty yourself in this culture. Peter doesn't even pause, though, in his boldness and brashness, this gift that he was given. He believes that the power in him to heal is greater than the power of the world to defile. So he reaches out and lifts this man up. Don't just speak words of truth launched like grenades at hurting people. Look at people like God looks at them. Speak to people words of healing and truth. Go the next step and reach into people's lives and help them stand up from where they are. That's what it means to be a person of God. Are you willing to look, speak, and reach into the lives of those who cannot help themselves? I've, I've seen studies of, uh, of some of the effects of uh, orphans in infancy and in childhood, and it's been proven that the effects of neglect are more severe than the effects of abuse. When you don't treat people like image bearers of God, do you know what begins to happen? They believe it, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. May we not overlook people, refuse to speak, and reach into the lives of others. Do you believe the power in you to bring hope and healing is greater than the power of this world to stain Church, we need to remember that there is no impact without contact. We cannot be a movement that has influence on the world if we are not involved in the world around us. There's something exquisite about how this story is told. Just in case you miss it the first time when he says the man is positioned at the gate, not inside the temple. They tell you twice in the story he's positioned at the gate outside the temple. Let that remind us that most of the impact that we're going to have in this world for Christ is outside of the holy meeting places and where people are. 
If you're waiting for breakthroughs to happen in this room week in and week out, you are so limiting God's capacity to use you as a movement in this world. God set a people apart from the world to be sent back into the world. It's before they get inside the temple that they have a miraculous experience. Are you prepared to be engaged in the wonderful movement of God outside of meetings like this? There is no impact without contact. And what happens to this man is a miraculous healing. I think we should pause for a second and ask, what should we expect from God? Should we expect miraculous healings to to still happen today? Things like someone who couldn't walk, being able to not just walk but run and jump? Well, I'll tell you, there's a whole spectrum of beliefs among Christians. On one end of the spectrum is something called a cessationist. That's a weighty word, but just hear the root word, cessationist, to cease. They believe that that since the early church, things like what's described in Acts cease to happen. They don't happen anymore. Cessationists tend to believe that as long as we can talk to people and make a good argument, that life can be radically transformed. On the other end of a spectrum is called a continuationist. Again, big word, hear that root, continue. A continuationist, sometimes they're pegged with the word charismatic, which which has some baggage with it. A continuationist believes that God continues to work in miraculous ways in this world. What should we believe? I thank God for, for the years of global missions experience that I've had, seeing God work in so many different ways that are outside my comfort zone. That I'll tell you, as an individual and as a church, Uh, We are on the spectrum of believing God continues to work in ways beyond our comprehension. Uh, I I, I take from the the pastor who describes his church as charismatics with their seatbelts on. (laughs) We We don't just expect God to do wonderful things every time in every way. We expect him to do those things, but it's always in light of how did God work in the Bible and is this bringing glory to God himself? That's our seatbelt. We want to make sure we're not asking God to do things God doesn't do. We're asking God to do things he does do, but we're juxtaposing it with the whole picture of how God works in the Bible. Charismatics, continuationists, with our seatbelts on. We should believe that sometimes healing is going to happen and other times healing will not. We should believe that sometimes God will fix our circumstances but sometimes he may not. We can't dictate how God should act in the world, but we can always ask him to use his power to glorify himself and save the lost. That is so important, so I'm gonna say it again. We can't dictate how God should act in the world, but we can always ask him to use his power to glorify himself and to save the lost. God is beyond our comprehension. God will work in ways that is beyond our comprehension. He may or he may not, but he will always bring glory to himself and good for others. Standing at the beautiful gate of the temple, Peter and John showed the lame man an even more beautiful gate. One that allowed him 
to share the grace of Jesus Christ with a man in need? Do you realize we, we live in the midst of a hurting world and we don't just have answers to temporary hurts, but to an eternal estrangement from God? And listen to how this man reacts. He gets up. He jumps for joy. And where does he run? Into the temple that he's never had access to. When this man is given true life, he doesn't just celebrate the gift that he's been given. He runs to celebrate the giver the place that he's never been allowed to be. When we are a movement, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and it leads us to places we would never go to do things that we would never do, we get to see people cross from death to life. That's what this man does. In Acts, miracles show us the triumph of Christ and the resurrection. The miracle that Peter performed for this man pointed to the power of the living Christ and the result wasn't just physical healing, it was worship. And hear how others respond. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. This wasn't just an ordinary day at the temple. It was wondrous. Don't let that be lost on you. While the man is miraculously healed, he's not preoccupied with the gift. His first movement is to enter the temple and worship the giver. And as we'll see next week, every gift should ultimately lead us to freshly consider the greatest gift of salvation, the most wonderful miracle that orphans, spiritual orphans, were made sons and daughters of God, not because of what they've done, but because of who God is and what he's done for us. Church, I ask you to consider, how does the gospel influence your commitment to compassion and care for others? How does the gospel influence your commitment to compassion and your care for others? In what ways can you take the initiative like Peter did to pursue open doors, to speak the gospel, and to reach into the lives of others? If God has invited us to do it, he will provide the opportunities, and he will provide the power to follow through. Church, you have been set in motion, and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and the same direction unless acted upon by an outside force. Is something stopping you from being set in motion? What is your next step? How can this church come alongside you and help? Because we were set in motion to change the world. Ne nearby, wherever you're sitting, uh, you'll find the connect cards that we pass out every week not for our own health, but because we want to see a church set in motion. If you don't know what your clear next step is, we would love to come alongside you and take that step together. If you just fill that card out and write next steps on it, we will follow up with you and help you take your next step with Christ, not just as an individual, but, but together as a church.
as a body of people on mission with God, a movement set in motion by Jesus himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can drop that card off in the offering box. You can come up and hand it to me after the worship gathering if you want. But ask God to illuminate for you what is your next step and ask for the Holy Spirit to help you and guide you to take it. Father in heaven, how great your love is for us that you would turn wretches like us into your treasure. God, help us to see the beautiful gate that is Jesus Christ the one true way to, to walk into your holy presence and worship you. God, would you give us the courage to believe that you've set us in motion and you've equipped us with a mission and with the power to carry it out by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that you would illuminate for us what is the next step to be in motion with you. Will you take away any of the forces that are stopping us from taking our next step in order that we can bring you glory and bring good to others, whether it's in the moments of life or the milestones? Thank you for being all that we need. Will you help us to take our next step with you? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.